You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. You have come far, but your journey lies beyond. We've been watching that trailer. It's an upcoming uh, movie that will be out in December. Operation Christmas Child chose to use that as a uh, promotion tool uh, for their Christmas boxes this year. But we cut it off short, the trailer short, intentionally because I wanted you to hear that last phrase. You've come far, but your journey lies beyond. The idea of the voyage of the dawn treader, there's a ship in that movie or in the book by C.S. Lewis that uh, represents Christians on a journey to deliver dawn or spiritual light to the world that's around them. And that's the image that Operation Christmas Child is using for these boxes. These boxes are about to depart on a journey that can bring spiritual light to the world that they arrive in, into the hearts of children. That's why we've chosen the, uh, the title for this Something fall. Okay. We've had a weird day today in transitions, by the way. You know, I came out of the first service and I was carrying a cup of juice with me. Don't normally do that, but my throat was a little bit dry. And in the process of setting the chair down, I forgot I had the juice, so I spilled it on top of the seat. And, uh, and Michael Austin saw it and pointed at it. Thankfully, he was kind to me. He could have just ignored it, and I would have sat in it. And, uh, and, and then he... Uh, he cleaned it up. Then we had a mic fall over, and I thought, all right, what has happened now? Uh, get back to the message. Uh, but the reason I want you to catch that thought in, in the movie, that phrase, you, you have come far, but your journey lies beyond, is because of what our topic is today. Our topic is arriving at our destination. And we started a journey a few weeks ago as we talked about collecting these boxes for Operation Christmas Child. Our goal was 500 boxes. And hopefully today we have arrived at that journey or beyond that. Don't know yet. We've not counted them. I know that some of you still have them there in your seats with you, and that's good. And when I first came up with that title and we were planning this series out, I just kind of planned on the whole service being a little bit of a celebration. We've arrived at our destination. Hopefully made our goal. But then God had other things in mind. Because what we're focusing on today is the topic arriving at our destination. But with this thought, I want you to understand that this does not mean that we have ultimately arrived at our destination. There is so much more for us to do. And I'm afraid we have the tendency sometimes as Christians or as churches to accomplish a goal. And when we accomplish that goal, it's kind of like, oh, we're done with that. You know, now I can, I can sit back and relax. And guys, the opposite is true. Thank God for this. We ought to celebrate it, but this is not our ultimate destination. There is so much more God has in plan for your life in my life. So much more He wants to do in the life of our church. So many more purposes and goals that we need to strive forward and accomplish for Him. We can't afford just to say we've arrived at our destination and kindly stop there. 
I've seen churches do that sometimes when a church would, you know, be striving to maybe build this real nice fancy building and things like that. And once it is built, sometimes if a church is not careful, they'll sit back and think we've arrived. You know, I mean, we, we've built this now. We're on the other side of it. And there's a tendency for people to do that in their individual lives. You'll take on a, a task or a ministry for Jesus. And then once you kind of feel like you finish it, there's a tendency to say, all right, I've done that now. And kind of stop. And that's what I think God is calling us to do today, to recognize that there are many more goals that he has for us. I mean, just instantly before us, here's some things instantly before us to help you see this does not represent us arriving. This week, we're doing our collection center. And uh, Rick and Chris Pouse can both raise their hands at you right here where you know where to find them. And their email was put up earlier. If you can help volunteer in the collection center, there's ministry to be done this week, not just our boxes, but boxes from other churches or individuals that will come by and bring those and drop them off at our collection center. And then those things have to be counted and crated and sent down to Charlotte. So there's ministry right in front of you involving that. The, the opportunity we mentioned a minute ago about some of our families in the church wanting to minister to some needy families on Thanksgiving Day. To invite them in and have a Thanksgiving meal with them. To actually fellowship with them. It's not like well, we're just feeding you. No, we want to connect with you. We want you to understand that we're thankful for you and we're glad that you're here. And, and some of you can still sign up to do that if you need to. Right at the end of our service, this is something we did not know about till this week, but at the end of our service, there, there's a, a, a student at Caldwell Community College who had found out the number of soldiers that do not receive a Christmas card from anyone at Christmas. And there's a ministry now that's called Operation Christmas Card. <laughs> and what we are going to do is provide cards for you at the end of the service and ask you to come up and sign those cards and put a note of thanks to the soldiers who are serving our country. And those will be collected and sent to our military. So that's an opportunity right before you. Our goal for next year, Operation Christmas Child, is a thousand boxes. That will not happen by you and I waiting until we start talking about it next fall. That will happen by us starting probably right after we get through with our Christmas and start shopping in advance and collecting because we want to double the number of boxes because we feel like God's called us to that for next year. And there are all kinds of opportunities. There are opportunities right before you every week. Things that you can do right here in this church to where you can minister here. And if you don't know how to do that or maybe how God can use you, you can see Daryl Triplett, our associate pastor, and talk to him about that, and he'll try and help you in that way. I'm just trying to help you see we've not arrived at our ultimate destination. We can't afford, thank God we ought to celebrate this, but we can't afford to say, all right, we've done that, and then sit down. None of us have arrived. None of us are so spiritually mature, we can think, I can stop growing, I can stop praying, I can stop reading my Bible. None of us have arrived to that point. We're not at our ultimate destination. We're going to be in a, in a whole chapter today, and that's going to scare some of you. Some of you new people don't know what I mean by that. Some of you hang around here a whole time and are thinking, well, I've, I've heard him take uh, three or four verses and take 
45 minutes to an hour before. So now I'm telling you we're doing a whole chapter. You ought to be at least thankful it's not Psalm 119. <laughs> so uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And in Philippians chapter 3 today, I, I think we'll learn some things about, about Paul. Paul's going to say a lot of stuff about himself, but Paul, the apostle Paul, is going to say, I've not arrived yet. He's going to say, I've not attained yet. And that's true of us. It doesn't matter how long or how short you've been a Christian, you've not arrived yet. It doesn't matter if you have reverend or deacon attached to your name, you've not arrived yet. None of us have arrived yet. And I want to be sure you clearly understand up front as I talk about this today in the message, I am not talking about us doing ministry and serving Christ and continuing to do it as though you're earning your salvation because that's an impossibility. No one can work their way to heaven. No one can earn their salvation. Jesus finished the work on the cross when he paid for our sins. The only hope we have is by accepting him, faith in his shed blood on the cross of Calvary. That's what provides our salvation. But we do need to recognize, having been saved, we ought to do things like Operation Christmas Child. We ought to be involved in the ministry. We ought to be serving Him. And we never should think, I've arrived, I have served a number of years, so now it's time for me to sit down. Guys, I'll probably say this later, but I want to say it now also. There's no expiration date on a Christian serving Christ. It is to be from the moment you receive Christ as your Savior until you see Him face to face. There is no expiration date on that. And I think that's kind of what Paul is talking about. So let's, uh, let's look at some uh, things. And we're not going to read the whole chapter to start with. I'm just going to break it up and, and we'll hit highlights of it as we, uh, as we go through. First thing I want you to see is this. Our pedigree does not mean that we have arrived spiritually. And some of you might be offended by that statement and think I'm calling you a dog. I'm not. Paul calls some people a dog here in a minute, dogs in a moment, <laughs> in the passage of Scripture. What I'm, what I'm trying to say by the word pedigree is simply this. Sometimes people have the opinion because of who they are and because of what they've done, that means that they have arrived spiritually in their life. And you and I, by our pedigree, no matter who we are, no matter how our heritage might be spiritually or physically or the things we've accomplished in life, none of our pedigree causes us to arrive at our ultimate destination. Look at what Paul says in these verses. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. We ought to do that. We, you know, we did that over these boxes. We ought to rejoice in the Lord. We ought to be sure we're rejoicing in the right direction. We have our focus right. It's not rejoicing about us and what we've done. It's for Him that we rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. So evidently, Paul had addressed some of these issues with him. And he said, it's no problem for me to do it again. It's a safeguard for you. He says, watch out for those dogs. So there he's calling some people dogs. And he says, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus. And who put no confidence in the flesh. And then Paul kind of saying this. He's going to say, well, you know, if you want to put confidence in the flesh, if you want to compare yourself with me, then let's do that. It's more or less what Paul's saying. 
He said, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, in other words, if somebody's going to start having a bragging contest about what they've done and who they are, Paul could kind of have chimed in there. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. He's, he's talking there about his own pedigree, more or less. And I want you to notice a couple of things that he says in those verses. He's saying, first of all, that we need to understand that our pedigree, the pedigree of us practicing anything that we might think of as a ritual or a spiritual ritual, that doesn't mean that we've arrived. That doesn't mean that we've arrived. The, the spiritual ritual that Paul's talking about in this passage was circumcision. And he's saying, watch out for dogs. He's talking about individuals who were teaching, in order to be saved, you had to be circumcised. And they were looking at circumcision almost as a mark that, man, as soon as they were physically circumcised, that they had arrived in their life. That they were exactly where God wanted them to be. That they were marked as the people of God. So there's this ritual that they would go through. And it was God's ritual. God instituted it. God told them to practice it for a minute. In just a moment, you'll see Paul says this, the real issue is being circumcised in your heart. That you have trusted in Christ as your Savior. But there were some people in that day and time who were focusing upon them being where they ought to be with God based upon a ritual called circumcision. Now, in some way, people still do that today. Some people will feel like they have arrived at their ultimate destination because they attend church. And, and they'll think going through the ritual of attending church means that they're all right with God. And guys, I'll be honest with you. I hope you do attend church. I, I, we love to have a full house and things like that here. But at the same time, can I tell you something? Going to church will not take you to heaven. And attending the church is not your ultimate destination. You do not arrive at everything God wants you to be just because you show up and sit in a chair in a place that we call a church. People will go through rituals. Or they'll look at things as though it's a ritual and they'll, they'll make it feel like they're right with God because of it. Well, I take the Lord's Supper every time it's offered. Give you advance notice, we're doing that this coming Sunday. Uh, so it'll be a good time this week for you to reflect upon all it means, what Christ has done for you, and we're going to celebrate that next Sunday as we enter into Thanksgiving. But just the ritual of partaking the Lord's Supper doesn't mean you've arrived at your destination spiritually. All kinds of practices that people might try and depend upon. I've been baptized. That's a good thing. Jesus says you ought to be baptized. We should be baptized. But being baptized doesn't mean the instant you've been baptized, you are, boom, everything you need to be for Jesus, and you've done and accomplished everything you need to do for Jesus, and now all you need to do is sit down until he comes back. So going through that type of ritual or any other ritual you may be dependent upon. You see, if we're not careful, we can even approach something like a great opportunity like Operation Christmas Child and say, this is a ritual for our family. Every year we've done it, and we've done more this year, and we really enjoy doing it. Thank God for it. We ought to do it, but here's the deal with it. You can't do this and think you've done everything you need to do for Jesus this year. 
and wait until Operation Christmas Child comes around next year. You can't just trust in some kind of ritual. Paul called people that were distrusted in rituals like that instead of focusing upon Jesus, people that were focusing upon the flesh and trusting in the flesh and having confidence in the flesh, he called them dogs. I, I don't know that's a positive title. How many of you want to go to work in the morning and, you know, your boss comes up and looks at you and says, you're a dog. It's not necessarily a positive title. I've got two dogs. I love my dogs, but I don't want to be one. Amen? And yet he looks at these people who are trying to make it sound like it's all about jumping through ritual hoops that puts you in a right relationship with God. It means you've ultimately arrived. Also, the pedigree of your personal spiritual heritage doesn't mean that you have arrived at your ultimate destination. See, some people have a spiritual heritage they'll hold to. I'm going to bring the verses up on the screen. I'm not going to read them right now, but you can look at them as I talk about it. We've already read them just a moment ago. But, you know, Paul's talking here about people who look at circumcision, and, and he says we're really the circumcised, those who uh, worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ, we don't put confidence in the flesh. And then he goes on to tell us uh, all the reasons why maybe he could be confident in his own flesh. And it's like Paul is rehearsing his heritage, so to speak. And, he, and he's telling us all these things that he could claim glory in. And I'm afraid sometimes we do similar stuff. I'm afraid sometimes... As individual Christians, maybe, we'll, we'll have ideas and mentalities like this. Well, my mama took me to church all the time when I was growing up. You know, thank God for a mother that'll do that. But you can't live the rest of your life on what mama did for you. Or my daddy was a pastor, or, or my daddy was a deacon. You know, all, all that's great, but I can tell you something. God's not going to respond to you based upon who your parents were. On the fact that your daddy's a preacher doesn't make you make it into heaven or mean you're right with God automatically because your daddy was a preacher or your daddy's a deacon. But people have those kinds of ideas. My, my mother was an assistant teacher in public school. Just because she was an assistant teacher in public school doesn't mean that I'm one. And you can't assume because you've got some spiritual heritage where you had parents that took you to church or read the Bible, you can't live on what they did. And you can't even afford, if you know Christ as your Savior and you're sure of that, you can't even afford to live on what you yourself have done in the past. And focus on your past spiritual heritage. You have to remember you've come far maybe, but your journey lies beyond. Here's what Paul said about his spiritual heritage. He was circumcised on the eighth day. Some of you, that means nothing. Uh, the reason he's referencing that, that's when God said that they were to do it. And if you want evidence of God knowing what he's talking about, they have since found out through medicine that on the eighth day of a baby boy's life, there's more clotting ability in the blood than any other time in his life. See, God knew that. And he said that's why to do it, you know. Uh, most of you men are probably thankful it happened and you don't remember it. Amen? 
But that's why Paul's saying that. His parents were following what God said even when he was a baby. He, he, he said, I, not just that he was circumcised on the eighth day, he said he was born a Jew. So, I mean, he was, he was part of the people that God had called to himself. Not just a Jew. He said, I was a Hebrew among Hebrews. And that kind of be like some of us men saying, well, I think I'm a man among men. But that's what Paul said about himself spiritually. I'm a Hebrew among Hebrews. Paul said these kinds of things about himself. He said, if you want to brag about stuff, I could. He said, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, which was really kind of like a special tribe in the nation of Israel. He, he said, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. And in this day and time, we have this negative connotation that's placed on Phariseeism, and, and there ought to be. And when you look at the way Pharisees did in the New Testament, why Jesus condemned them. But the other part of being a Pharisee, and Paul claiming this here, is that the Pharisees were memorizing vast amounts of Scripture, they were tithing on everything they were supposed to tithe on. They were trying to follow all the rules to the hilt because they wanted people to see that they were following all the rules. And Paul said he was doing that. So Paul's kind of rehearsing out what his spiritual heritage is here. And then in a few minutes, we're going to discover that Paul also understood it did not mean anything. Paul being all of these things, Paul being circumcised on the eighth day, Paul being of the tribe of Benjamin, Paul being born a Jew, uh, Paul uh, being uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews, feeling like he really, you know, was, was really like a you know, super spiritual person as a Pharisee. Paul's going to tell us right here in a minute, none of that mattered. And guys, if it didn't matter with the life of Paul, here's a newsflash for all of us. Whatever you think is your spiritual heritage that you might be trying to depend upon and trust in, that does not mean you have arrived. Doesn't mean where you need to be in your life. Just by depending upon a spiritual heritage. We need to remember that our journey lies beyond Second thing I want you to see today is this. Not just our pedigree, our pedigree, who we think we are, does not get us at our ultimate destination. Neither does our performance get us at our ultimate destination. Our performance does not mean that we have arrived spiritually. Look at verse number 6 through 11. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I want you to focus on some of the phrases, some of the things that Paul said. Look at the next slide. Paul said, as for zeal, persecuting the church. Paul is saying, my performance was this. You see, at the point in time Paul was persecuting the church, he thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. 
He was filled with zeal. He had a lot of energy. He was persecuting the church because he thought Christianity was wrong. Thought it was some kind of crazy cult or something. So at that point in time in his life, he had a lot of zeal when he was persecuting the church. So Paul had a lot of zeal for God. That was part of his performance. He said, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. In other words, he said, as far as jumping through all the hoops and obeying all the rules, he said, man, I nailed them. I was doing all of it. You couldn't accuse me of anything when it came down to legalistic rules. Paul said, I was obeying them all. That was his performance. But it didn't get him to where he needed to be with Christ. His performance did not help him ultimately arrive at the destination that God had for him. See, Paul realized that none of that mattered. And here's why. Next slide, please. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. A couple things there. He said, all the stuff I just bragged about, it didn't matter. He said, none of that would get me in a right relationship with God. None of that helped me to arrive at my ultimate spiritual destination. None of that really matters. He said, I, I count it loss. He said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord. Can, can I give you a little side note here on that? Some people are concerned about becoming great in their life and being great in their life. Can I tell you the greatest thing you can do? Know Christ as your Savior. And some of us have goals for our children and things like that where we want our you know, children to be able to do this and do that or whatever. Can I tell you the greatest goal you can have for your child is to know that they know Christ is their Savior. And he goes on and he says, all those things I'm counting lost, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul's Spiritual rituals, Paul's spiritual heritage, all the stuff that he'd rehearsed. He's saying that doesn't matter at all. Matter of fact, he's pretty graphic with this. He says, everything that I had been dependent upon, you can take it and flush it down the toilet. More or less is what Paul said. Because the word rubbish actually means dung. Feces. So that's what I'm counting, all the stuff that I was dependent upon, my own heritage, all the stuff that I thought that I was doing that made me important to God. He said, all that is just like poo-poo. Guys, I don't know about you. I, we, we flush it for a reason, amen? It stinks, Right? I mean, we, we, don't, we don't collect poop and put it up on the mantle and put a sign and make a, make a trophy out of it. My dogs every now and then I refer to, they will give me a gift every now and then. I don't take it and enshrine it and put it up in my house 
and make it like it's a trophy. It stinks. You want to get rid of it. Get the picture of that. Paul is saying this. People thinking that who they are and what they can do will put them in a right relationship with God stinks. Get rid of it. Flush it down the drain. Quit depending upon that. Don't trust in that. He said, count all of that loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And we know Christ by faith. It's not by us trying to work our way to heaven. We need to remember that we might have come far, but there's a journey for us that already know Christ as our Savior that lies beyond. Our performance will not get us in a right relationship with God. He said in verse 9, And to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Not by works, not by who you think you are, not by what you think you can do, but by faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. Now, based on that, I'm going to bring up some statements, and I'm going to talk through these statements. I want to be sure you understand each one of these statements. Statement number one, and you've got them in your notes, is this. A, a lost person cannot be saved by their performance. You can't be saved by your works. You can't be good enough. You can't be saved by obeying the law. The Bible says there's no one good, not one. You cannot be good enough to go to heaven. All Paul was doing didn't matter. That wouldn't get him to heaven. Number two, a saved person, and I'm going to explain this because if I don't, someone's going to misread it and go off on a wild tangent. A, a saved person, a Christian, needs to understand they've not fully arrived at God's ultimate destination for their lives by trusting in Jesus and then stopping at that point, okay? Listen to what I'm saying. I'm not talking about salvation, okay? I'm talking about you getting at your ultimate destination, being all, and being exactly where eventually God wants you to be. The minute we receive Christ as Savior, we are saved, thank God, for all eternity. It's not by works. Clarify that. You understand what I've said? It's not by works. We boast about that. That's what the Bible tells us in Ephesians, if, if it were to be by works. What I want you to understand is this. Just because we've trusted in Christ as our Savior and we know we're going to heaven, that doesn't mean that you stop there. You receive Christ as your Savior and you're baptized because He tells you to be, and you just kindly stop there. And you don't do anything for him. You just sit down and you wait around for him to come back one day. And you just stop there. You see, that's falling far short of God's purpose for your life. God wants to use your life. God wants to help you eventually, ultimately become all that you can be for him. And you're not there, I I don't think, you know, and I'm not there. You don't receive Christ as your Savior and come up out of the baptismal waters as a super Christian knowing everything you need to know and doing everything you ought to do. I've been a, been a pastor for 27 years. And can I tell you something? I learn something new all the time. And I read stuff in the Bible all the time that reminds me I'm still flawed and I'm still messed up and I still fall short and I don't live up to everything that I need to be, and I still make mistakes. And the Bible reminds me of that. So I can't say as a pastor, and you can't say no matter how long you've been a Christian, you've arrived. 
We can't say because we've done this wonderful thing called Operation Christmas Child that now we've arrived and we can just rest on our laurels for a while, you know? Look at the next point. As the followers of Christ, we've not fully arrived at our destination when we do something for Jesus and we think we've done our duty and our task and our service is over. I'm 54. I don't know when God will tell me it's time to you know, retire necessarily from being a, a pastor of a church week in and week out. I don't know if you'll ever tell me that. You know, I don't know. But when that point comes in my life, can I tell you something? That doesn't mean that I've done everything I need to do. It doesn't mean I can sit down and retire on being a Christian. Like I said earlier, there's no expiration date in our lives on following Him. We need to be serving Him. Listen to what Paul's words are in verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. Then notice this. Notice the tense of the way he's talking. And the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. Now this is the Apostle Paul speaking. And Paul, he wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else and who God was using to go and plant churches all over the place. The apostle Paul does not say, I have shared past tense in the fellowship of his sufferings. The the apostle Paul does not say, I have become like him. Paul is saying, the sharing of his sufferings ongoing Paul had not arrived. Paul understood there's still things for him to share in the fellowship of the sufferings of serving Christ. Paul understood he had not arrived. He's not like he needed to be yet. He had not fully arrived in his life spiritually. He was not like Jesus yet. Paul, who by the way in Romans chapter 7 said, well the things that I know I'm not supposed to do somehow I wind up doing those and the things I know I'm supposed to do somehow I struggle with getting those done. See Paul's not saying he's arrived and we need to adopt that as our philosophy. We cannot say and should never say we have arrived. You've never studied your Bible enough to where you, ne- to where you are, have arrived and you can put your Bible on the shelf and quit studying. You've never prayed enough to where you've had fellowship with God enough through prayer that you can stop praying. We never arrive at that point. And that's the idea that Paul's given. And he talks about this wonderful thing that's going to be the resurrection from the dead coming down the road. And he's saying, that's still future. And I think he's giving us this thought. That's still future. From now until the time that happens, we need to be serving Jesus. Paul is saying, I've not arrived yet, and until that resurrection happens, I'm going to be faithfully serving Christ. We might have come far, but our journey lies beyond. What we've seen so far in this chapter is this. Our pedigree, who we think we are, does not get us at our ultimate destination. Our performance, what we think we do, does not get us at our ultimate destination. That's what Paul is saying even about his own life. And because that is true, here's number three. We must press onward and continue spiritually growing and serving Jesus until we do arrive at our ultimate destination. We have to keep pressing forward. 
Look at these verses, several verses to read, and then I'm going to break them down just a little bit, and we're done. Not that I've already attained all this, or have I already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. In other words, if you know Christ, if you're a Christian, live like it. Join with others and follow my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you, before and now, say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. That's how we should not be. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies that we will be like His glorious body. I want to point out several things that I think Paul is saying in those verses. Doctrinally, number one is this. Doctrinally, Paul understood that he was righteous. In other words, doctrinally, Paul knew that as far as going to heaven, he had arrived. As far as his sins being forgiven, as far as Paul being a Christian, doctrinally, he understood that was a finished deal because he had received Christ as his Savior. Doctrinally, Paul knew he was righteous in Christ, but practically, Paul knew that he had not arrived. Paul knew that he had not been made perfect yet. That's what he was saying in those verses. He's saying, look, guys, I'm not saying I've already attained this. He, he's saying, I know I've not been made perfect. I'm not there yet. The apostle Paul is saying he's not there yet. I mean, I've already said it, but I want to remind you, God used him to write more of the New Testament than anybody. And he says, hey, I'm not there yet. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Paul just saying, man, I'm not arrived. He said, you know, God's still working on me. And we need to recognize that in our own lives. You have not arrived. In the moment you think you have arrived, you will quit growing spiritually in your life. The moment you think you're there, you're not there. Look at the second thing. Paul also knew he had not arrived at his ultimate destination. So since he knew that, here's what Paul did. He pressed on. And that's what we need to recognize, guys, since we have not arrived. Even though we can do some wonderful things like meet goals through Operation Christmas Child, that doesn't mean once we do it, we've arrived and we can sit down. Paul understood he had not arrived yet, so he said this, but I press on to take hold 
for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He said, Jesus took hold of me, and I'm going to grab hold of all the stuff that he wants to do in my life. I'm going to grab hold of everything that he wants me to experience and do for him. I'm going to press forward. I'm not there yet. I'm not arrived yet, but I'm going to press forward. That's what Paul is saying in that passage of Scripture. Some of you will use this excuse. Yeah, but you know, that's the Apostle Paul, so he's special. We do that a lot of times, don't we? We'll read about somebody in the Bible, what they say, what they've done, and everything like that. And we'll cop out by saying, yeah, but that's Paul. Can I remind you of something? That's the same Paul that murdered Christians. That's the same Paul, as I said a moment ago, said stuff I'm supposed to do. I don't a lot of times. Stuff I'm not supposed to do, somehow I wind up doing it. Same Paul. What you and I need to do is press on. We need to recognize we've not arrived. And we need to press on from now till Jesus comes. From now till we die. From now till we see Jesus face to face. Our goal is that we will keep pressing on and recognizing we have not arrived at our ultimate destination. We might have come far, but our journey's beyond. Something else really important I want you to notice that Paul did. Paul did not use his past as an excuse. Did you see what Paul said? Forgetting what is behind. Some of us will use what we've experienced along the race of life as an excuse. Well, I did this and I did that. And we'll allow the devil to convince us we're so flawed we can't do anything for Jesus. That's what the devil wants you to believe. You're so screwed up that you can't do anything. You might can trust in Jesus and go to heaven, but beyond that, you can't really do anything for him because you're so flawed and messed up because of all your choices. That is a lie of the devil. I am flawed and I am messed up, and if I had to look at my past and depend upon who I am, I'm probably one of the last people in this building that ought to be up here today. But I can't live in my past and allow my past to thwart my future, to block the future, to block what Christ is calling me to. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people will use their past as an excuse instead of running ahead, instead of continuing ahead to what God has called you to. You want to know where Paul was when he wrote this book of Philippians? Where was he? He is in prison for the gospel's sake. Paul just said, man, I'm in prison. I don't know what I can do. I'm in prison. He said, I'm going to keep pressing on. And we need to do that. Don't allow the things that you've done in your past. Don't allow the devil to point his finger and tell you you can't do anything for Jesus. You need to press on. Some of you need to take the first step in the journey and say yes to Jesus. And you're allowing the devil to block that because he's saying, oh, look how bad you are. God will never save you. Can I tell you something? Yes, he will. Jesus died for it on the cross, shed his blood. It's paid for by his blood. You have to believe in that and receive him as your Savior. Paul also did this. Paul pressed on like a runner that was running a race. I mean, with some energy. I mean, if you're running a, a race and you're wanting to, to represent the country or whoever you're running the race for, you want to do it with vigor. You want to do it with energy. You want to look good while you're doing it. You know, you want to run the race hard. 
Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and notice this, and straining toward what is ahead. He's using the, the imagery of someone running a race. He said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I'm going to press on. Matter of fact, I'm going to do it like I'm running a race. Now, let me qualify that. Paul is not saying I'm running the race so I can go to heaven. He's saying I'm running the race because I am going to heaven. Paul's not saying I'm running the race so I can make the finish line for myself, so I can accomplish something. Jesus had already done it. He's just running toward the goal that Jesus had for him. And that's the way we need to run. See, runners would represent in the Olympics back then, in the games back then, in Greece, and in things in true in our culture today. Runners would represent their citizenship. Today, when the Olympics takes place and they're running track, the runners for the United States of America, they, win a, they wear a, a, a shirt that says USA on it. And they're wanting to run the best that they can because they are representing the United States of America. And here's the illustration I'm giving you. Our citizenship is in heaven. So if by faith, those of us that have trusted in Christ, if our citizenship is there, I need to run like I'm representing where I'm a citizen. I need to run like I'm representing heaven. I need to run a race and press forward like I'm representing Jesus. I can't afford to say, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. I'm going to live in past glory. We've accomplished this. This is our destination. No, it's not. We're to serve him until he comes for us. We're to serve him until we die. We're to serve him until we see him face to face we're to run like a runner to him and that's what Paul said that he was going to do he was going to run the race like a runner he said that he's not arrived yet and he tells us that we who are mature in verse 15 should take such a view of things that we need to be running for God all that he's just said and if on some point you think differently that too God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others and follow my example and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. If we are Christians, what we have already attained, we need to run like we've attained it. I need to live my life like Christ would want me to. Not so I can be saved because I've been saved. You need to live your life like Christ would want you to. Guys, we live in a culture today, and I, I, I don't know. I, I think God's maybe going to tell us to do a series in January entitled Fear God. Because <laughs> we live in a culture that I almost think people think, well, this, this is just a bunch of suggestions, and we can decide, well, yeah, I think I'll do it, or no, I won't do it. And people will base their morality on what people around them think or what the culture says about it or what somebody else is doing instead of basing their morality on what the Bible says. If God clearly tells us to do something, guess what we're supposed to do? Do it. And we need to fear God enough to do it. We, we've about brought fearing God down to the degree of just thinking, well, I, I need to stand in awe of how great God is. That is part of fearing Him. But if you'll read in the Bible, when people came face to face with God, they trembled. 
And just maybe we need to fear God a little bit more. And understand what God says is wrong is still wrong. And what God says is right is still right. And it always needs to be what we base our choices on. We need to live like we've already attained. We need to run the race like we've already attained. What we've attained through Christ, we need to live like it. It's what Paul's saying. We need to press on and do this. We need to press on and avoid living like those who are actually the enemies of Christ. He said, for as I have often told you before, and now he said with, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their, God, and their glory is their shame, and their mind is on earthly things. Paul's warning us there how we should not run the race, how we need to avoid running the race. We as Christians do not need to have an appetite for worldly stuff. We don't need to allow our stomach to be so hungry for the God of this world, for temptation and the things that's presented there. We don't need to have our eyes so focused on worldly things. Instead, we need to be focused on Jesus. Focused on the fact that we are citizens of heaven. Focused on the fact that we're running a race for Him. We need to avoid living in such a way that looks like we're the enemy of Christ. And what we need to recognize is that God does have an ultimate destination for us. He said in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will you notice this? Will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Does it, did, did the light come on now? Did, does that click? Do you, you understand now as great as this is, thank God for this. Thank God for all of you that have, have gone and, and, and shopped and bought items and, and, and packed these boxes and put money in for the shipping and, and, and prayed over them and brought them. Thank God for it. Thank God for what they'll do. But that's not our ultimate destination. We can't say we've done this and now just sit down and quit. Here's our ultimate destination. As amazing as it might sound, one day, <laughs> Jesus is going to transform us to where we are exactly like Him. Does that blow your mind? Maybe you're being too self-righteous because I look at myself and, and know some of my attitudes and my actions and things like that and things in my past. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be just like Jesus one day. He's going to transform me to be like him. That's what we're told in the Bible. John put it like this in, in 1 John. Next slide. Dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That's your ultimate destination. 
That's why you can't sit back and think you've arrived. That's why our goal as Christians ought to be from the moment we receive Christ until we see Him face to face and He transforms us to be like His glorious body. We have not arrived at our destination until then. Thank God one day that's going to happen. That ought to charge your batteries today if you know Christ. Because one day, all the junk that you have in your life, all the stuff you struggle with, all the discouragement you have, all the stress you have, all the, all the things you have maybe about your life that you don't like, one day, if you know Christ is your Savior, when you see Him, He's going to fully transform you and you'll be made like Him. That is our ultimate destination. Some of you younger ones don't understand that. You see, Bill and I, as we age out, we appreciate it. Amen, Bill? That's the ultimate destination. And I, I, guys, I know I said a lot today and went a long ways just to keep saying it. But you need to understand something. You might have come far, but your journey lies beyond. Wherever you are and how far you've grown, thank God for it. But you can't settle there. You can't become complacent. You can't be satisfied there. Our journey lies beyond. Until one day, we'll be like Him. We've got a lot to celebrate today. Thank God for these boxes. I, man, I appreciate the way you celebrated that earlier and what these boxes represent. Uh, I, we don't know how many is up here, but... You know, we'll, we'll count them later, but uh, you know what? We asked God to speak to your heart, and we set a goal out there, and uh, however many is here, we, you know, we may have gone over our goal, I don't know, but however many is here, thank God for it. And it is something really to celebrate. And this, while it might be our destination this year for Operation Christmas Child, it's not our ultimate destination, and we can't stop there. You and I need to be serving Jesus every day of our life. So we get ready to have a time of decision. The band's going to come and do a song here in just a moment. And we're going to have a prayer before that. But as we get ready to do that, some of you today might need to take the very first step of the journey. There may be someone here today that does not know Christ as your Savior. And your first step in the journey is to admit to God that you're a sinner. Admit to Him how far short you have fallen. Agree with God that what He says about you and I is right. We've sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. But then you need to believe in Jesus, believe in what He did on the cross, and understand that what Jesus did on the cross paid for your sins, and the only hope that you have is Christ and trusted in Him. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior... You might need to take the first step in the journey today. If you do know Christ as your Savior, just maybe you need to reflect and think about this as the band plays and sings and even as we pray here in just a moment. Maybe you need to ask yourself and ask God, God, what's the next step? God, thank you that I had the opportunity to fill these boxes up. Thank God you had that opportunity. But ask him, what's the next step? What happens next? He doesn't want you to be satisfied and think, I've done this for Jesus. Now I can sit down. 
He wants you to keep on going and going and going and growing. Becoming more and more like Jesus till one day, thank God, He appears and we're exactly like Him. That's our destination. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank You that You sent Your Son on a journey. We thank You that He became flesh and lived in this world and He went to the cross as the ultimate perfect sacrifice and shed His blood for our sins that through faith in Him we can have everlasting life. Father, if there's someone here today that has never, ever trusted in Christ, give them the faith they need this morning to take the first step. To admit that they can't be good enough, they can't work their way to heaven to understand that. And to put complete, total faith in Jesus and what He did on the cross for them. Father, for those of us that already know Christ, God, we just ask for what's next. In our individual lives and in our life as a church, Father, we ask for what's next. God, help us that we'll not become complacent, that we'll not be satisfied, that we'll not think we've arrived. Help us to understand our journey lies beyond. There's so much more you want to do in our lives. And God, help us just to be submissive to following and obeying you. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> you have something? Okay. He's up here fast wanting to pray. I thought he wanted to say something. But hey, he's wanting to come pray fast, and that's, that's great. Uh, as a band sings, they lead us in this invitation. I hope you listen to the words of the song. It, it, we, we didn't plan it. I didn't ask for it. Then they sang the first service. I thought, man, it fits. Because that's what life is about. Our, life is about knowing Christ and making Him known to other people. And, and we get the opportunity through ministries like this to make Him known to other people. And at the very end of the service, we're going to pray over these boxes. But right now, in this time, ask yourself if you know for sure that you know Christ is your Savior. If not, take the first step of the journey. If you know Him, ask Him during this time, God, what is next? Don't be satisfied. Don't be complacent. Not your ultimate destination. God, what is next? Until I see you face to face, what is next? If you need to come and pray about that, we invite you to come. If you need Christ as your Savior, Al Newell and myself will be here at the front to help you. Daryl just slipped in the back a moment ago. Daryl will be up here. He stays upstairs all the time with children anymore. I'm thankful for what he's doing up there, but he's here. and he, I'm going to get him to come up here also. He'll be here to help you if you need to ask somebody how to receive Christ. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.